Welcome to the podcast. This is Douglas Wilson. We are on episode 315 of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, good to have you. So I want to talk uh, this time around about what I'm calling the revolt of the normals. Um, now, I, I see certain indications that a revolt of the normals is brewing. But, of course, like all prognostications, it could be wrong. But I think I can say pretty safely that either the normals will revolt, there's going to be some sort of uprising where everybody says enough with the crazy, or the normals will be swallowed up entirely. I think the, the normals revolting against clown world, against the craziness that, is, that has seized us by the throat over the last few years, is essential to survival. It, either the normals will rise up or the normals will perish. But here's the thing. I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic about this. I think of Stein's law, which is something like this. Anything that cannot continue on indefinitely won't. Uh, there you go. Anything that cannot continue on indefinitely won't. And as I'm fond of saying, in the long run, stupidity doesn't work. Stupidity is not a sustainable strategy. And if you have millions of people who simply want to be left alone and live an ordinary, regular life, and they are constantly being harangued by the DEI people at their corporation or human resources or workplace training and microaggressions or the extreme ends of the Me Too business, just all of this stuff, where common sense justice has been thrown out the window. And I'm talking about every form of cancel culture. I'm talking about all the woke business. The indications are that people have had enough. And I, I see uh, it, somebody's going to ask, well, what are my, what are the indicators I'm looking at? Well, the voices that have been warning about this woke business, the voices that have been warning about the um, secularist jihad and the way these things inexorably go, are voices that have been routinely silenced, shushed, tucked away, exiled, embargoed. And yes, I would include our voice uh, here in Moscow in that number. We have been shouted down, shushed, silenced, ignored in all kinds of ways. And someone might say, well, you're, maybe you're not, maybe you were being ignored because you're just a little putt-putt operation and you, uh, nobody knew you were there. Well, that's not exactly true because we can look at traffic and we can look at who's, uh, we, we, have, we have intel that tells us that the people who are adopting a very studied silence about us are not being silent because they never heard of us. They're being silent because they are studiously trying to keep people from thinking that what we are arguing for, what we are advocating, is even an option. And that's been the case for years. And this was during the ascendancy of Big Eva. This was during the time when moderate, winsome, steady discourse and a sly grin was enough to uh, was enough to take carry the day, and so what <laughs> what happens is uh, that 
worked for a long time and we just kept on keeping on as we used to say back in the 70s and then the the um, the levels of crazy got to their fever pitch as they did over the last few years and to use the cliche a number of people started to red pill not only that but a number of people started to red pill and they didn't really tell anybody about it and they're looking for their opportunity to when should i when should i declare myself when should i come out to the family you know our our conservative version of uh, of the gays coming out when should i announce to the family <laughs> the, the color of my pills and is thanksgiving a good time is a christmas get together a good time or let's say you're a pastor let's say you're an elder on a uh, on the board of a mega church or let's say you are uh, a second tier leader at a big evangelical organization we have strong indications that a lot of people are starting to feel the weight of this responsibility and th their common sense is returning to them it's like the the dream is past some of them never were entranced by the uh, the opium dream some of them were deceived by it for a time and have and the ship has righted itself others we're just keeping their head down, and they're starting to realize that uh, they can't keep their head down any anymore. So basically, look for the revolt of the normals. Look for people being willing to say transgressive things. Not transgressive against the law of God, uh, but transgressive with regard to woke fundamentalism. Always will be God. So, as uh, our word in this week's hamartiology lesson is kakos, K-A-K-O-S, kakos, which is rendered in the New Testament uh, a number of different ways, uh, to wit, to be sick, to be diseased, uh, miserably, and so on. It can be used in, as an adverb, miserably, uh, and such like. But one of the meanings is evil. And so, if we're doing a study of hamartiology, which is the study of sin, we obviously have to take into account kakos when it means evil. There are two instances of it being used in this way. One happened at the Lord's trial before the Sanhedrin. Okay, so when the Lord was on trial before the Sanhedrin, uh, this is what happened. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, there it is, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Okay, if I have spoken evil, Kakos, bear witness of the evil. But if well, if I've spoken well, in other words, why smitest thou me? That's John 18, 23. John 18, 23. Now the high priest had asked Jesus about his disciples and about his doctrine. Jesus answered by saying that he had taught very publicly, and so they should ask those who heard him. He taught in the temple, he taught in the in synagogues, he taught openly. So if you want to know what my doctrine is, then you should check with those many thousands, who, um, who heard me speaking. And at this reply, one of the officers struck him, and Jesus asked for a specific instance of the sin in what he had said. You're hitting me, obviously, because you think what I said was evil, but if you think what I said was evil, what was evil about it? Okay, you think I was being, you think I was delivering something that was kakos, what exactly about it was that way? There was, there was no evil in his reply, and so why act as though there had been? 
Now, very interestingly, I, and this is uh, quite striking, actually, the second use of this word in the New Testament in this way apparently happened in the very same place, or at least before the same body, before the Sanhedrin. The Apostle Paul had been hauled up before the same council, this same council, and said that he had lived his life in all good conscience. At that, the high priest ordered that he be struck on the mouth. Paul then retorted that God would strike him a whitewashed wall. That kind of blow was illegal. So Paul said, you sit there to judge me according to the law, and contrary to the law, command that I be struck? It was illegal. What are you doing? Paul was then rebuked for speaking to the high priest that way, and interestingly, Paul accepted the rebuke. And here it is in Acts 23, 5. Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil, kakos, of the ruler of thy people. You shall not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now, Jesus is answering the person who struck him before the Sanhedrin, and Paul is answering the high priest who ordered him to be struck in the Sanhedrin. They're, they're both, both on trial, both in trouble with the ecclesiastical authorities, and that word evil comes up. Also, on the, with regard to this second instance, and as an incidental point, this is one of the pieces of ev- evidence that I would use to argue that Paul's thorn in the flesh was something to do with his eyes, poor eyesight or some kind of eye disease or whatever, because he's standing there in the, in the chamber of the Sanhedrin, and the high priest ordered that he be struck, and Paul didn't know uh, that it was the high priest. Uh, presumably, if your eyesight was good, and you were as educated as Paul was about things Jewish and things Sanhedrin-y, uh, you would know who the high priest was, you would know who spoke. But Paul just simply retorted, not knowing that it was the high priest who spoke, and when he was informed that it was the high priest, he apologized. So I take it that Paul had some sort of affliction uh, with his eyes. In one, one letter, he says, see with what a large hand I write to you. So he's applying his own signature, and he's, he's using great big letters. He says to the Galatians that if... Um, if you could have, you would have taken your eyes, your very eyes out and given them to me, indicating that Paul was in need of eyes. So I take all that as indication that Paul had real eyesight problems and that this was a thorn in his flesh, uh, would have been a, a true thorn in the flesh. It's obvious from the fact that he was such a, a scholar, hungry for Timothy to bring the manuscripts and so on. So there you go. In our book review uh, for this episode of the podcast, I want to uh, I want to review Animal Farm by George Orwell. I read I've read this uh, oh maybe a time or two years ago, but I decided that it was it was time to go through it again. You know, and I listened to it this time. It was uh, and it's just a wonderful book. Uh, I agree with uh, C.S. Lewis. Isn't that big of me agreeing with C.S. Lewis? Uh, C.S. Lewis writes an essay in which he compares George Orwell's 1984 to Animal Farm. And while I think Lewis would acknowledge that 1984 was a great, uh, great book, he, he's rhapsodic about Animal Farm. 
he says Animal Farm is sort of pitch perfect. If you if you want a a send up of the totalitarian uh, mentality, the to, the totalitarian mind, Animal Farm is perfect. 1984 is a big block of a book. It's and it's very detailed and more realistic, if you will. You know, it doesn't have talking animals, but Animal Farm is just. Uh, it works as a parable. It works as a, as a cautionary tale. It works as a fable. It's just really, really good. So there's a revolt of the animals on a farm. The animals take over. The pigs are the, are the most intelligent animals, and they uh, sort of co-opt the, the revolution. And they depend on you know the boxer the the horse whose motto is i will work harder and the napoleon the, the revolutionary head of the of the pigs is always right uh, down to just the inviting the exiling of a rival um the uh changing of the standards the betrayal of the revolution everything is there i i really do agree with lewis Animal Farm is perfect. If you if you read it once decades ago in high school, it's time to get another copy. It's time to read it again. There is quite a bit of wisdom there for us in these are troublous times. <laughs> 